Morena, no my hardy my. Welcome to King's Church Wellington. Um, and um, thank you, Claire, for, um, for sharing about the, the Women's Conference. That's a really good plug, actually, to what I've got on my heart, uh, what I've been bubbling away to, to share this morning. Um, as a church, we've been learning over the years that God is our Father and, and that we are His children and that He loves us unconditionally. And this morning, the Father wants to highlight something quite specific. And that is how uniquely and profoundly he loves his daughters. He wants to share this morning how uniquely and profoundly he loves his daughters. Now, I've experienced this love firsthand. You might say, or oh, as a daughter? Well, no, not as a daughter, uh, but as a father. I have three young children, and two of them are daughters, and I just love them with all my heart. You know, I get home from work. And I play with them, I wrestle them, I don't let them go until they know that I love them. And in that experience of that, of that deep fatherly love for my daughters, I know that I'm learning something of the heart of the father for his daughters. And, and, and my love for my daughters is, is small and insignificant compared to the eternal father's love for his daughters. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning, uh, how uniquely he loves his daughters. Now, like I say, I've got three young children, and one thing that I've been learning about having three children is that it's possible to love them individually like each one is your favorite. You know, you know what I mean? It's not like when you're a parent of multiple children that your love is like a pizza and you've got to slice it up, and the more children that you have, you've got to divvy it up, and the more children that you have, the less and less of uh, your love that they get. It's not like that at all. Every time you spend time with, with one child, it's like you love them with all of your heart. And then you spend time with the next child, and it's like you love them with all of your heart. You love each of your children uniquely and fully. And that is definitely the case for the father. So we can safely talk about how uniquely and profoundly the father loves his daughters without taking anything out, anything away from how much he loves his sons too, eh? But this morning, that's what the father wants to highlight, how he loves his daughters. So it is Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Um, but this morning, it's all about his daughters. Now, just as a disclaimer, before all the, all the blokes decide to uh, tap out, I can already see a few people sort of rolling their eyes. Uh, <laughs> don't think for a moment that you're going to get away with half an hour of just swiping on your phone or something like that, all right? Because here's the thing. Every daughter needs loving, spiritual, and biological fathers who will nurture them and call out identity in them. And every daughter needs brothers who will defend and honor and protect and call out all the good in them as well. So this is just as much this morning for the fathers and the sons out there as it is for the daughters as we focus on how much he loves his daughters. Okay? And so what we're going to do, um, we'll bring up that first slide, please. Yeah, this is a cool painting. I'll touch on that painting a little bit later. It's a beautiful painting of, of a daughter of the Heavenly Father just experiencing his love and being revealed just how much uh, he loves his daughters. And so that's the kind of posture I want us to have this morning of receiving from the Father and just being, being showed and revealed new things to us about how much he loves us. Amen? And I'll touch on that painting a little bit later because there's a cool story behind that. But what we're actually going to do this morning is we're going to read through the story about Mary Magdalene uh, encountering Christ at the empty tomb. 
And I want to draw out a few ways in which the father uniquely loves his daughters and the freedom and the boldness into which he's calling his daughters to step. Uh, Jan, are you around? Can you yell out, what was that Dutch word again? Yeah, Freimurik. Uh, is that all right? Sort of, yeah. Um, and it means, what does it mean? It means freedom and boldness. And that is, the, that is what the father wants his daughters to step into this morning. Freedom, all right? Freedom from anything that would oppress, but also boldness. Boldness to know your place in the family as a loved daughter of the father. Okay, so let's read through. Uh, let's read through from verse 11 to verse 18. Now, before we um, jump into the story, because we're kind of jumping into it halfway, just a quick, you know, quick context. Jesus has been crucified. He's been, uh, he's been placed in a tomb. And then Mary rushes to the tomb early on the first day of the week and finds the tomb empty. Peter and John turn up, do their thing. Lots of running in the chapter, by the way. They're running this way, they're running that way. Uh, and, uh, and then the, the, the blokes, they run off, and Mary is left standing there. And so we pick the story up as, as Mary is uh, looking into the tomb. Um, I forgot my Bible, so please excuse me, but I'll read off the screen. Um, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying, the angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying, Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go, find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Your Father, I just pray that as we look at this story today, as, uh, as I did my best to share from your word, Father, I would pray that you would communicate something of the heart of, 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 of your love, uh, of your loving heart for your daughters. And I pray that they would step into freedom and boldness uh, in your family in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Is my Bible around there, hon, or did I, where did I leave that? I actually think it's in here. I will be needing that. Um, okay, so what I'm going to do, uh, what I enjoy doing is just grabbing a verse, grabbing a phrase, and, uh, and just unpacking it and sharing something of the heart of the Father. And a lot of, I like to teach, but a lot of this is going to be sort of prophetically applied uh, as well. So we'll see, see how we go with that. Um, so the first verse is uh, verse 11, Mary. Just a simple phrase. Let's start with that, because even that's quite loaded, right? We're not going to go that slowly through the whole thing, but, but let's start with Mary. Now... I've been learning that Mary is, is a fascinating character to actually study in the Bible, and uh, we don't know a lot about her, but what we do know is, is very interesting. First of all, we know that Mary was a super common name back then. You know, they, they, um, they reckon maybe as many as 25% of women in that day were named Mary or some variant of it. And even in the Bible, I mean, anyone ever been confused by how many Marys there are in the Bible? It's like, there's Mary over here, Mary over there, there's another Mary called the Other Mary. <laughs> uh, so Mary's a beautiful name, uh, but back then, super common. 
her name, Magdalene, suggests that she was from a fishing village, just a simple background. Uh, so she would have had a humble background. And because she is referenced to a place and not a person, they assume that she was either single or widowed because other women in the Bible would be referenced as, you know, Peter's wife or the wife of Herod or so on. So because she's Mary Magdalene, they assume that she was either single or widowed. So she really was a bit of an average Jane Doe, you might say. You know, she common name uh, from, a, from a humble background, nothing special about her too much. And she, she kind of would have been the perfect candidate for like a, a female superhero movie, you know. Nothing really going for her but aspiring to greatness. Uh, and, uh, and so that was... That was Mary. But the thing about Mary, the tragic thing about Mary is that the story doesn't end there. She actually went through a period of her life where she suffered terribly. Uh, In Luke chapter 8, it says that she suffered from severe demonic oppression, just absolute control over her life to the point where she, she was just under the influence of this demonic power in her life, and it completely robbed her of freedom and joy and boldness. Now, we, we, we don't know what that looks like specifically for her, right? The movies might try and make it out that it looks like this or looks like that. We don't actually know. But we don't have to go too far. If you look in uh, Mark, for example, Mark's gospel, of the account of similarly uh, oppressed people. So in Mark chapter 5, you've got the, the man who, who, who lives in a cemetery, cuts himself and wails out. I mean, that is a, a, a tragic story of severe oppression. Or Mark chapter 9, you've got a young boy who is oppressed, and he is mute, epileptic, and suicidal. And so that is, the, that is the depth of the darkness that Mary would have experienced. She would have fallen somewhere within that spectrum of those two men. Uh, and so complete and utter um, oppression. Um, but the thing is, she encounters Jesus, right? Say she was from a simple uh, fishing village. One day Jesus travels through and, and he's teaching people and he heals her. And in a moment, she is completely free. Mentally free, physically free, she is completely healed. And as a result, she becomes one of Jesus' most closest and devoted followers. One of, one of his most closest and uh, devoted disciples. And If you do a bit of a study on this, it's fascinating just how loyal and devoted she was. I mean, all of the other disciples uh, at at Jesus' final days, they scatter, don't they? Where where she, if you look through all of the Gospels, is at every stage of Jesus' final days, either by association or or literally named in in the story, we can pretty confidently place her uh, at at Jesus' arrest, trial, flogging, crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection. First-hand experiencing it there. And you, could, you can just imagine her. There she is, no doubt, in the garden. And, and then Jesus is arrested, and she follows him. And, and she's there at the trial as Jesus is you know, saying, now it's, you know, as, as he gets that um, you know, judgment, you're going to be crucified. And she's no doubt part of the grief-stricken woman who are following from the trial to the crucifixion. The Bible has her uh, at a distance while, she, while Jesus is being crucified, watching what's going on. She would have seen the, you know, the sky growing dark as, as, as Jesus breathed his last. She would, have seen the, she would have felt the earth shake. She was right there. She would have seen the soldier's spear pierce through Jesus' side and the blood and the water that we've been singing out this morning flow out for forgiveness of sins. She would have seen that. She was there as Jesus' body was taken down 
from the cross, placed in a tomb, and she watched Joseph roll the stone over the tomb and, and seal him in the tomb. She was there at each one of those events. Then in the morning, she was first up in the morning. She gets up, and she's the first to go to the tomb. She's the first to see it empty. She's the first to then encounter Jesus as risen. And then she's the first person in all of history to go with the news that Jesus is alive. I mean, think about that story. If, you, if, if I can't tell you a story that, that communicates something of the father's heart for his daughters, I don't know what is. Here's this lady, and she is a nobody. She is oppressed. He frees her. He sets her free. He teaches her, disciples her, and then, and then allows her to be at every stage of his uh, you know, of, of his death and resurrection, to just, just to show her the lengths that he would go for her, the love that he would show to her and, and her sisters, and then be the first to encounter him and go with the good news about Christ. And that is a picture of the love of the Father for every one of his daughters here, every single one, that they would be set free, they would know his immense love, and then go out into the world with this good news. Amen? Yeah, preach it. Um, so then we move on to verse 11 to 16. And there's Mary, uh, and she looks into the tomb, and what is she doing? There's a clue. Put it in direction here. She is crying, okay? She is weeping. And, and, the dis- and, and uh, what, uh, angels appear in the tomb, and they ask her what? Why are you weeping? Why are you crying? All right? They don't say, Jesus is alive. They engage with her and say, why are you crying? And then she gives an explanation and kind of misses the point of the angel's question. And she encounters the gardener, who we know is Jesus. And what does Jesus ask her? Woman, why are you, why are you crying? Why are you weeping? Now, if you think about it, like say you go to a funeral and you ask someone, why are they crying? It sounds like a really stupid question, doesn't it? It's, it's kind of obvious that she is grief-stricken. But look, I have a suspicion that's not really the point of their question. The, the point of their question isn't, you know, woman, why are you crying? What circumstances happened here? I think the question is, why are you weeping for someone who isn't dead? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you mourning someone who is alive? And in that, in that moment, I see, I see this picture of, Oh, it's like, God, there, there's truth. And what is the truth? Jesus is alive. But then there's Mary's reality. There's her thoughts that actually I am oppressed. It is dark. Or, you know, it is hopeless. Jesus is dead. And it's like her reality and her thoughts are not aligning with God's truth. And so God rectifies the situation and comes in and comforts her until, until those two things align. Mary's reality and, and what the Father says. And I think in there that it shares something of the heart of the Father where he wants all of his daughters to step fully into what he sees and says about them. And the moment, until you do that, until your reality and your thought life is aligned with his, it is as bizarre as someone who is mourning for someone who isn't dead. Are you, are you catching me? And, and, until you come into the reality of what God says about you, then it is that bizarre. And it's like what Bill Johnson says. It's, he says something like, I can't afford to have any thoughts in my mind that he doesn't have in his about me. 
And until you align, it's like the Father will seek you out, will send angels, will send his Son until you understand. And that's why I can encourage all the women, hey, look, go along to that women's conference because it's those kind of events where that alignment takes place. Do you understand? Here's the other thing I would say. Prophetic people in this church, your calling, your mandate, your job is to call out the father's heart and what he says about his daughters. Do you understand? So it's like Jesus spoke a word, didn't he? He spoke a word, and at that moment, boom, that alignment took place. And when we prophesy over people, it's like that alignment is taking place because you are speaking the word of Christ into their life. You are speaking encouragement from the Father in order that that might take place. You are giving them new truths that they might align themselves. You are sharing with them what the Father says about them. You are like embracing them and saying, this is what the Father says about you. You are precious. You are loved. You are adored. And we've, we've been hearing the prophetic do that today, haven't we? We've already seen that firsthand, haven't we? That you are blameless, that you are holy, that you are all of those things. And in that moment, uh, that's, that's, that's the amazing thing about the prophetic. And prophetic people, I, I need your help today and next week and the week after to encourage the father's daughters to know that they are precious and loved and to, and to speak words over them of what the father says about them. And time willing, I'm going to um, ask you at the end to move amongst uh, anyone who wants prayer, and, and share some prophetic words for them. So I've already shoulder-tapped a few people, but if you're prophetically inclined, and I know there's a lot of you are, just start in your heart listening to God and saying, what would you have me say this morning to someone? What, what would you want me to pass on about them? Are you guys up for that? Yep, 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 cool. All right, so, uh, so we'll see how we get on with that a bit later on. So, good stuff, right? The next, uh, next verse is... I want to look at is verse 12 and 14. I'm amazed that the blokes go into the grave. They have a look at a bit of a man look, you know, they see some cloths, they walk out. Mary, this precious daughter, she goes in and she's weeping. She sees angels. She sees Jesus as the gardener. She sees Jesus as the risen Christ. It's like she saw I just want to hang on that phrase for a minute, and she saw. And I want to ask the question, why is it that she saw angels, she saw the risen Lord, and the sons saw nothing? Well, I'm sure there's plenty of explanations, but the one that I, I felt stirred to bring this morning is that I believe it's kind of a, a poetic picture of a father's interaction with his daughter. It's a beautiful picture of how a father relates to his daughter. Now, think about this scene, right? There's the father, he's watching on, the blokes go in, the blokes go out, and yet this precious daughter is at the tomb and she's weeping and she's mourning and she is seeking until she finds. And the father's heart is stirred to the point where, where he's like, send some angels, go and comfort her. Send my son, go and be with her. The, the heart of the father is stirred into action. Now, I want to share a story, and please don't judge me for this story. Um, I, I like to keep things safe around the house. Uh, the bunk beds are bolted back like you'd never believe it, so in a big earthquake. But, but yesterday, we had a really close call as a family, and it scared the living daylights out of me. And uh, I'm going to Bunnings at some point this week to rectify the situation. 
But my, I, I was looking after the kids, and uh, I, was, I was on duty, so it's all on me. Um, but, um, but I was in the lounge looking after, um, doing something for Elliot, and I heard this big, this big crash. And I rushed into the bedroom and to see our set of drawers on top of my daughter, and all that I could see was her head poking out the top, a full set of drawers on her, and I just lurched into father mode, just ripped this thing off and threw her out the way, grabbed my daughter, took all her clothes off to check that she wasn't bruised or broken, asked her if she was okay, gave her a big cuddle. She stirred the heart of a very protective father by this big crash and a wail. And I feel that, I, I, just, I just sense that because Mary saw something because she stirred the heart of a father. And I just feel like the father would want to highlight to you daughters today that you can move the heart of a father like no one else can. All right? Every father knows this. They love all their kids the same, right? But there's some special place in your heart for your daughter that you would jump in front of a bus before you see them upset, before you see them you know, grieving. You will do whatever it takes. That is the heart of the father for you. And you have the ability to move his heart. And I would encourage you in your prayer life and and how you seek God and your actions and your emotional life, know that you have the ability to move the Father into action. Mary Magdalene is there and she seeks God with tears. The heart of the Father is stirred. She encounters the risen Lord. Or you've got Mary and Martha of Bethany, all right, different Mary, by the way, the other Mary, and, um, and, and, and they are what? They are weeping for their brother. And what does it do? It stirs the heart of Jesus. And as far as I know, is that this is the only place in the Bible where it's recorded that Jesus weeps, is where there's two women there weeping for their brother. His heart is stirred. Bang, he raises Lazarus to life. There is something special and precious about the heart of a daughter. And I would encourage you that you, you, are, you have this amazing ability as a loved daughter to, to move his heart into action. Amen? Uh, Verse 16. She turned to him and said in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. You think all of the things that she could have called Jesus in that moment. You know, like, (laughs) what are some of the things, you know, maybe Jesus (laughs) or Lord or Master? What does she call him? She calls him teacher. And I think that's very insightful, actually. All the things she could have called him. Now, here's the thing. Mary wouldn't have called him teacher unless he had taught her. You see, she had full and unhindered access to be a disciple of Jesus. Full and unhindered access to be right in there with the group of disciples. So she would have been there on the mountaintop, you know, Sermon of the Mount. She would have been hearing this message, you are the light of the world. Go and let your deeds shine before men. She would have been there in the, in the private gatherings as Jesus shared the, the meanings of the parables. And, and she would have been there in the olive grove where Jesus constantly spent time with his disciples, just hanging out with them and nurturing them. And it's not just that she was there. She was, she, the teaching was directed for her and at her. Otherwise, why would she cry out, teacher? You know, it's just, but here's the thing, right? We don't have to be a historian to know that the idea of a, of a rabbi having a female student was a pretty radical and countercultural thing, right? Yeah. It would have been an offensive thing in that time. I mean, the apostles, what, what, what was their reaction when, when they saw Jesus even just talking to a woman in public? 
you know, they were shocked. And here's Jesus setting the new norms and showing his daughters what it's like in his family, what it's like in his father's family. And I want to encourage you daughters, at the heart of the father is that you belong in the family. You belong at Jesus' feet simply because you're a daughter. And Mary had nothing going for her that would have uh, given her credentials to be in the inner circle. She wasn't married to anyone special, didn't have a special name, didn't have a lot of riches or wealth, uh, you know, would have been maybe known as the ex-crazy lady, uh, you know, but she had nothing going for her other than that she was a daughter, and so the father welcomed her right into this privileged position. And I want all the sons and daughters to know today that sons do not have a privileged position just because they are sons. The sons and daughters together have a position of love and honor and dignity and worth within God's family. Amen? So, so the Apostle Paul could say, there is neither male or female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. In other words, as a daughter, you are in line for the inheritance every much as bit as the sons. And I got that from the ESV Bible, which is not the greatest when it comes to gender issues, right? But um, that's the thought for another day. But, but you are heirs according to promise. Abraham's offspring, who were called to be the blessing of the world, through which all nations would be blessed. I think it's a beautiful picture of Jesus saying, sons and daughters together, you are honored and loved and valued. Verse 17, the last one we'll look at. Don't cling to me, but go to my brothers and tell them, you know, I'm ascending to my father and your father. Um, don't cling to me. That's a strange verse, isn't it? And uh, don't cling to me. What does that mean? Now, I'm pretty sure what it doesn't mean is Jesus just sort of, you know, fobbing her off and sort of, you know, saying, oh, what are you doing? You know, like, oh, cooties or something like that. And it's just like, what are, what are you doing? Now, what he's saying is this. Don't cling to me. You're going to see me again. I haven't ascended yet. Don't cling to me because I've got an important job for you to do. I've got a privileged position for you to do. I've got something that's going to go down in the history books that people will write about and talk about for thousands of years, and I've got it assigned for you. At that moment, he was not fobbing Mary off. He was actually giving Mary, and I believe by extension all of the father's daughters, great dignity and worth. The first person in history to share the news that Jesus is alive. And she goes and she shares this news. Now, some have called Mary Magdalene the apostle to the apostles. What does apostle mean? It's someone who's a sent one, who goes with the good news that Jesus is alive, that encourages people to repent of their sins, change the way that they think, and align their whole reality with the truth that Jesus is alive. If she didn't do that, what did she do? And that's why people are as bold to say she is the apostle to the apostles. I think it's significant that Jesus sent a woman to be the first, uh, first person to share that Jesus was alive. Why is it significant? Well, because before the resurrection, women weren't even able to, they were not even dignified to be a reliable witness in court. If they were wrong, they could not go and testify that they had been wronged. They were not a reliable witness. After the resurrection, what does Jesus say? Valued, worth, worthied, dignified. 
place of honor, go and share the good news. You are a reliable witness. You know, we hear about the resurrection and people reduce that down to, um, uh, you know, it had to be true because a woman told it. You know, there's so much more than going on, going on, and then it's, oh, the resurrection must have been true because Jesus sent a woman. No, 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 Jesus sent a woman to show value and honor and dignity. It's, it's Jesus sharing the reality of new creation, of what his family's like now. Because the gospel of John is all about new creation, isn't it? About the new reality, what it's like in his family. How does the gospel of John begin? A little bit of interaction here. How does the gospel of John begin? In the beginning. So it's like he's retelling the story of Genesis. It's like he's retelling the creation story. And then when Jesus rises to life, it's on the what? On the what day? First, on the, well, it says on John's gospel in the first day of the week. And so what the way that John is describing Jesus' final week is like creation. And then he rests on the seventh day. And then on the first day of the week, he rises and to, to what? To new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He's telling a story of a new reality. So when he sends a woman, what he's saying is, hey, I have brought about a family, and it looks a little bit different now than what it did before. Daughters are just as much part of the inheritance as are the sons. That's what he's saying. And so now daughters have great worth, great dignity, and a great position of honor and value within God's family. And he wants to let his daughters know that this morning. So Matthew chapter 5, Jesus teaches all of his disciples and says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The Father would say to you, don't just cling to me. Go, I've got a good work for you to do. I've created you for good works, that people might see what's going on in your life and glorify and honor God. That is just as much true for the daughters as it is for the sons. Amen? Amen. Well, well, I got through that all right. <laughs> um, I just want to wrap up, really, with this painting. This painting is by an artist called, gosh, I'm going to butcher this, but um, Akiana Kramerick. And if you want to Google her, she has got a really cool story. But when she was just a young, when she was just a young girl, she had these encounters with Jesus and these visions of Jesus. And then she, as an eight-year-old, she painted this portrait of Jesus. And she ended up on Oprah and all over the place, and it's a really cool story. But she's in her 20s, and she's still painting now. And this painting here is a painting of her as a young girl just seeing these visions of Jesus and, 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 and experiencing God's love for her. And, and I just want to encourage all the daughters out there just to position your heart like this young daughter, to look up at the Father and say, you know, just to understand that He loves you, to know that you are uniquely loved. It's like this, this lights are going on, the revelation that you are loved, uh, you know, uniquely and profoundly. To know that you can, that, that you can be so awed that, that your, your heart as a daughter can, can stir the heart of a father. To, to just to know your value and worth, that you have equal standing in the father's household and that you are precious and loved. Would you, I just feel like the father said, would you re receive that truth this morning and align your reality with what I say about you?
So why don't we just stand and Sam, would you mind um, bringing the band up? And uh, I challenged the prophetic folk a bit earlier, and I would just encourage, look, if, you just, if you're bubbling away with a prophetic word for someone, then I would just encourage you to be ready to share that. We've got, we've got five or ten minutes before we needed to collect the kids, so we're doing all right for time. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Lord, I thank you. You love your daughters. You love them so profoundly, so uniquely. Father God, we just want to come boldly into your presence now, Father. We want to come free into your presence, knowing that the blood of Christ has made a way for us to come right into your presence. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for, that, for your heart as a father that we are still just learning to tap into, Lord, your, your amazing and intense love for us. Father God, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Mm. Why don't you just position your heart in a way that be ready to receive from the Father. To hear fresh words spoken over you this morning. <laughs>